Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today, and we are in the remarkable book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 13, but then we're going to walk all the way through the text, beginning in verse 1, and finally end up back in 13. Why are we doing this? Because it is such remarkable teaching that Paul gives the church such remarkable instruction. We are calling today an attitude adjustment. I think most of us, from time to time, we need our attitudes adjusted. And we're going to learn today from God's Word how the Lord desires to do that. We're going to see that in order for the Lord to do a great work through us, which, which most of us desire that, he must first do a great work in us. And that great work is humility. And when God, when we humble ourselves and God begins to work and produce humility in our lives, well, the outflow of that, the work he's going to do through us is obedience. And we're then going to find ourselves being obedient to the things the Lord calls us to. Friends, I'm so glad that you're with me today. I'm glad you're listening. Whatever platform you are listening today on, I would love to know about it. Shoot me a quick email, Roberts at gmail.com. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know what platform you listen to us on, and let me know how to pray for you. Well, Philippians chapter 2, we're talking today an attitude adjustment. Philippians chapter 2, I want us to begin today with verse number 13. I want to speak today on this topic, an attitude adjustment. How many of you are glad your spouse is here today? No, don't raise your hands. We'll be doing marriage counseling for the next month. An attitude adjustment. I don't know if you are like me, but when I hear a sermon similar to this, I can think of a whole lot of people that I wish was hearing this sermon. But the reality is the Lord wants to speak not just to a whole lot of people. The Lord wants to speak to me. So how many of us will perceive that today? How many of us will receive that today to say, listen, uh, you know, maybe I'd like for some co-workers to hear it. Maybe I'd like for my boss to hear it or my team to hear it or my family to hear it or my teenager to hear it or whoever. But no, how many of us today would be willing to say, no, Lord, speak to me today. Speak to me. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. What a remarkable verse. For it is God who works in you. Now that is a statement right there all on its own. And if you're going to take notes today, I'll have many things for you to note throughout these scriptures. But here is where I want to begin. We're going to start in verse 13. Then we're going to work our way backward and we're going to go to verse 1. And then we're going to understand the text. 
But here's what I want us to understand right off the bat. Verse 13, it is God who is at work in you. Let me ask you a question today. Can you recognize God's works in you right now? Some of you are looking around at your life and you're going, what in the world is happening? Some of you are looking at the season of your life right now and you're scratching your head and saying, is God with me or is he not? Is God for me or is he not? Because when I look at the things that are happening, when I look at the things that I can't control, when I look at the things that seem like it's hopeless, I I really don't see God in the picture at all. Anybody ever been in a season of life like that? And this phrase challenges me right off the bat to recognize it is God who is working in my life. And how many of you know God never takes a day off? God never goes absent. He may go silent, but that doesn't mean he's absent. God is at work in you. I want you to note this scripture, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 and 14. For many months now, we started this year, Sadie and I do a date night every single Thursday. I got sick a few weeks ago under the weather, and we've missed one date night. Only one, because I got sick. Other than that, we have stayed consistent every single Thursday. Thursday night, date night. And you know what I love about our date nights? We choose a scripture. Now, it's not Bible study. It's not rehearsing for my sermons. <laughs> we don't go into what the Greek means. <laughs> it's not, it, it's no what's this speaking to our lives. This Thursday, we had a wonderful little date night. And guess what our scripture ended up being? That was chosen months ago. Right now, I've got date nights planned and in the calendar and scriptures chosen all the way to the end of February. I'm a planner. (laughs) And just so happened this Thursday was Ecclesiastes 7, 13, 14. Listen to what it says. Consider the work of God. She came prepared with a question. She asked, what are we grateful for that's happened this year? And you know what? When we talked about the hard things, but then the great things, the fun things, and the difficult things, this scripture really came to light. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Do you know why God sometimes makes our paths crooked? You know why? The old Puritans used to say, because it keeps our eyes on Jesus. Look to the hills. From where does our help come? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? What are we to consider? On the day of prosperity, rejoice. In the day of adversity, Consider, it is God that made the one as well as the other. What an amazing scripture. That means that when you have your best days, God made that day. And when you have your most difficult days, 
God made the same day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will what? Rejoice and be glad in it, whether it's good or whether it's hard. Amen. Consider the work of God in your life. What's God doing right now in your life? Do you recognize it from the hand of God? Even when things feel out of control or things feel hopeless or things feel helpless or things feel difficult, do you recognize that it is God that is at work? What does Romans 8.28 tell us? That all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Friends, God is always working in you. Always. Do you recognize the works of God being done right now in your life? Philippians 2.13, God is at work in you. How many of us can just say amen to that? Can you accept what God is doing right now? Knowing that no matter what it is, it's working for his glory And it is working for your good. Do you realize that the glory of God and our good go hand in hand? Amen. So be excited about what God is doing in you. All right. It is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. So I want to ask a question today. What is it that God wants to work within us? What is it that God's goal, what is it that he is trying to produce in our lives? Because if you are a Christ follower today, I would say that your desire is for God to work through you. Who doesn't want to be used by God, right? Who doesn't want to touch someone's life? Who doesn't want to be an encouragement to someone? Who doesn't want to be able to pray with people? Who doesn't want to be able to give hope to people? Everyone wants God to work through them. But friends, we must understand, before God can work through us, God must first work in us. So if that is the case, and God does desire to work through us, because it is God who's working in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure, what God is doing within you is going to flow through you. Amen. So my question today, what is it God's trying to do within us? Well, Scripture doesn't leave us to ourselves. Verse number one, I want to talk today about humility and obedience. And I want to talk about how when God begins to work humility into our life, the outflow of that is obedience. Verse number one. Paul is going to begin writing to these Philippian believers at Philippi. And look what he says. Verse one. So then. Here's going to be a conclusion. So then. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Anybody need encouragement today? If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, anybody need comforting today? Anybody need more love in your life? I mean, come on, these are great things. Encouragement in Christ, comfort in love. If there is any participation in the Spirit, that's what you did today. My goodness. 
when Keeley began singing, Great Are You, Lord, I just heard a choir behind me singing, Great Are You, Lord. You're participating in the Spirit. When God prompts you to pray for someone, this morning, there was a person come to my mind that I haven't talked to in months and months and months. I have no idea how they're doing. I haven't talked to them in so long. But it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for them today. And I just took a moment and I interceded for them. What is that? That is participation in the Spirit. When you take time to discover your spiritual gifts, when you take time to use your spiritual gifts and you deploy those gifts into other people's lives and you serve other people, do you know what you're doing? You are participating in the Spirit. Amen. Praise God. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy. Oh, how people need to be cared for today. COVID has wreaked havoc on our society. People are so isolated. People are so lonely. People are so afraid. And let me tell you, if ever there is an opportunity for the church to show Sympathy and affection, it is this hour right here. Oh, we ought to love people as never before. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to be around a group of people that's got encouragement in Christ and comfort from love and participation in the Spirit and sympathy and affection. Let me tell you, that sounds to me like a great church. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit is helping us build here. Now Paul is going to teach. He's going to be a father here. Look what he says, verse 2. Then complete my joy. Paul's saying that's not enough. You can walk around here encouraged. You can walk around here comforted. You can participate in things. You can show sympathy and affection, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, The same love. What what is it? Full, help me. Full accord. Thank you. Full accord. And again, of one mind. Paul says, listen, it's not just, it's not just doing these things that sound so good like encouragement and comfort and love and sympathy and affection. No, you gotta be of one mind. You have to be unified. And let me tell you, in this church, we absolutely expect unity, except during football season. And then I enjoy hearing all the rivalry, but that's all right. Football, football aside, we expect unity, amen? Because you know, the fact is, people can tear it down quicker than we can build it up. People can tear it down quicker than we can build it up. You know, the old saying is true, people who gossip to you, They will gossip about you. And the old saying is true. You don't pray for the people you gossip about. And you don't gossip about the people you pray for. It's going to be one or the other. we got to be in one mind. One accord. One love. Amen. 
So Paul's going to put us all on the same page right here. And then like a father. Oh, I appreciate this. Look at verse 3. So if we have to be in unity, well, what does unity look like? What, what's it? I mean, uh, you got all this encouragement happening in the house. You got all this comfort going on. You got all this affection going on. But if you don't have unity, then it's not complete. It's still lacking. So what does this unity look like? He tells us in verse 3. Do nothing out of rivalry. Do nothing out of self-ambition or self-conceit. Do nothing out of self is what he's saying. But count one another more significant than yourselves. Oh, what an amazing verse. You know, I grew up without siblings. I grew up an only child. So now when I watch my four growing up, I am stunned a lot of times. My two girls, my two girls, my two oldest are girls, and there's 22 months between them. My two younger are boys, and there's only 18 months between them. But there's four years between the girls and the boys. And many of you know this. It hurts my heart when I see, civil, when I see sibling rivalry. When I see them at odds with each other, right? I tell you uh, a, a popular saying around the Roberts house. It's not fair. Does that happen at your house? It's not Marsha, Marsha. No, they don't say that, but that's what it, that's what it makes me think of. Rivalry. You know what we are in the kingdom of God? We're brothers and sisters. And you know what brothers and sisters often do? Rival. We have to guard that in our own relationships. We have to guard that. And Paul says, how do you overcome that? You count others more significant than you count yourself. Can you imagine if we really got that right? Let me tell you right now. You want to improve your marriage? Right here it is. Count your spouse more significant than you. Count their needs more significant than your own. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because let me tell you where selfishness is seen more than anywhere on this earth, it's in marriage. See, I can be kind to you for a little bit, right? I can put my best on for you. You see me Sunday morning, 90 minutes, you think, whatever. I can be as polite and nice, but it's how I am at home that really matters, right? And we all can struggle with that, right? There have been times I have caught myself. Sadie and I will be, you know, a little contentious toward each other. And, you know, I can't remember what she's done wrong. I don't remember. But, you know, it, it don't matter. I won't, I won't bring that up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we can, you know, we can be, you know, having sharp words or whatever. And, you know, church person call. And all of a sudden it's, I'm glad to pray for you. And Sadie's going, What? Can't we all be like that sometimes? 
But it's how we are at home that really matters. And where is selfishness seen the most in our lives? It's at home with the people we say we love the most. It's with the people that we're the most comfortable with the most, right? That's who we're the most selfish with. And Paul says, I'm going to give you the remedy. Here's the remedy. Count others more significant than yourself. I challenge you this week. In your own marriage, in your own work environment, with your own children, with whoever you serve with. Look for opportunities to count the people in your life more significant than you. Make them priority over you. Make them more important than what your need or your want is in the moment. I don't know about you, but that's great scripture. So he says, don't do things out of rivalry. Don't do things out of conceit. Don't do things out of self-gain. Count others more significant than yourself. Now, uh, verse 4, look what he says. Let each not only look to his own interests. Now, I like that because you know what that says? That says there's personal responsibility. I am to look to the interest of my household, right? I am to look to the interest of my children and my wife and, 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 and my house. I'm responsible. You're responsible for your own household. So you can't neglect your own interest. He says, look, not only to your own interest but to the interest of others. It's not one or the other. It's both. And Paul says, if you're going to grow and mature, if your faith, if you're going to go beyond just encouragement, beyond just comfort, beyond just participation, beyond just affection and sympathy, no, if you're going to complete the joy of a father, you're going to grow in this area, and what are you going to do? You're going to care for one another. You're going to count others more significant than you. You're not just going to look to your own interests. You're going to look to the interests of others. Verse 5. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Paul says, let this mind be in you. That is yours in Christ Jesus. (laughs) What a great verse. Let this mind, or another way to say that is attitude. Let this attitude be yours. That's why I want to call today an attitude adjustment. What would happen to our attitude if we followed this biblical counsel and we began to treat others more significant than us? If we looked to the needs of others more than meeting our own? Let me tell you, my friends, that would be an attitude adjustment in our life. So here's what he says. He's going to give Christ as the ultimate example. He's going to say, this attitude, this mind, this way of thinking is yours. In other words, it is obtainable. This is not for other people. This is for you. It is yours in Jesus. This is part of your inheritance. This is part of your salvation. This is part of being born again. It's part of being a child of God. I'm going to link in just a moment later on down in verses 11 and 12 that we are obedient children. This is ours because as we preached a few Sundays ago, 1 Peter 1, our nature is now God's nature. We're born again. This attitude, this thinking, this mind, this way of thinking is ours in Christ Jesus. It is obtainable. You can't sit there and go, well... 
it won't work for me. No, it's yours in Christ. Take it. Take hold of it. Amen. So now he's going to teach us. Verse 6. We're going to consider Christ. Look what he says. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now that is an amazing statement. Though he was in the form of God. What's that mean? Well, here is a good way of biblically understanding God. We believe that God is a trinity. We believe that God exists in three persons, yet one. Well, how do you explain that? We believe that of all things, see, you have to understand, we are the creation, God is the creator. So when you think of the worlds, when you think of the universe, when you think of all things that is created, including us, it is different than the creator. And when it comes to the creator, who the Bible reveals in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. The word for God, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which has a root meaning of plurality. What does that mean? It means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this verse says, even though Christ was in the form of God, what's that mean? That means of all of creation, there's only one creator. And what's that form? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one substance. There's only one form that is God. And he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God, Elohim, plurality. What did he say in Genesis? Let us make man in our own image. Who is he speaking to? The angels? No. Angels are created beings as well. No. It was the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image. You remember Isaiah 6? When Isaiah is before the throne of God and what happens? They say, who will go for us? Who is he speaking to? That was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the same us from Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. And now Paul says when it comes to Christ, even though he was in the form of God, even though he, had, he, he, he was part of the Godhead, even though he's Son, what did he do? He humbled himself. He did not count equality with God something to cling to, something to not let go of. He was able to let go of it to all of those benefits. Why? Verse number seven. So he emptied himself. Think of, this, think of the power of that statement. Think what it took for Christ to come to this earth, for him to become flesh, for him to experience pain, for him to experience loss, for him to weep at the tomb of Lazarus. Think about all that it took for the word to become flesh and dwell among us. That's why he is called Emmanuel, God with us. 
He emptied himself, taking on the form of a man. That what? He humbled himself. Look at it, verse 7. He humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the crucifixion. Absolutely stunning. And do you see why Paul says this is our example? You want to do selfish gain. You want to talk about rivalry. You want to talk about about what selfishness looks like in your marriage or in your relationships or in your family or in your church life or in your work life. You, You want, no, compare that to what Christ did. And then Paul says in verse 5, this same attitude that Christ came and he emptied himself. This same attitude that Christ humbled himself. This same attitude that led him to such obedience. This can be yours. These are the kinds of people you can be. This is the kind of marriage you can have. Unbelievable. He humbled himself. Even to the point of death, the death of of the cross. Now, did the story stop there? No. Let's read on. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name. You go to Genesis 1, God says, Elohim, God created, let us make man in our own image. You go to Isaiah chapter 6, who will go for us, the Trinity. You go to Revelation 5, and what did John see at the throne of God? He saw our near kinsman, redeemer. He saw the Lamb of God as though he was slain. He saw him standing, and he's the Savior of the world. What a story. It's the gospel. Amen. And therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That mighty host of heaven, all of those living on the earth, and all of those dead and buried, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a statement. I wish I had all day just to preach to the glory of God the Father. We could trace it all through the scriptures. Praise God. Amen. Okay. Now Paul says... Now, follow the logic here. Paul says, you think you're doing well because there's encouragement in Christ. You think you're doing well because you have comfort from love and because there's some participation in the Spirit and because there's affections and sympathy. So, a good Christianette would check the boxes and go, yeah, I must be doing pretty good. But Paul goes, no, 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 no. You're lacking. You're not complete. Because all of those things lack if there's not unity among God's people. Okay, Paul. Well, okay, well, 
what do you call unity? Being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord, and again, of one mind. Okay, but what's that look like? Oh, okay, I'm glad you asked. Paul says. He says what that looks like is that you don't rival with one another. You don't gossip about one another. There's not selfishness found among you. There's not self uh, agendas or self ambitions among you. No. What do you do? You count others more significant than yourselves. You look not only to the interest of your own family, but you look to the interest of others. You're involved in other people's lives. You're, You're not an island to yourself. You're not isolated. You're not self-absorbed. You don't have this bubble around you and your family that nothing gets in. That's not the will of God. So he says, there's another way of living, church. There's another way of thinking. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that's yours in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, is what he says. It's obtainable. And what does he say? He says, look to Jesus, who emptied himself, who became a man, who went through all this process. For what reason? To humble himself, to be obedient, even to the death of the cross. Wow. Now, look at verse 12 with me. So here is my point today. Some of you check a lot of boxes. Some of you could check Quite a few things in your Christian walk. But for many of us, there's something great that we lack. And that's obedience. And here's what I think the scripture teaches us today. There will not be complete obedience in your life until there is humility. When did Christ become obedient to the point of death after he humbled himself? Do you realize you and I are expected To go through the same process. You and I ought to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You say, well, Chad, what's that look like? Well, look at what God's doing in your life right now. Is God bringing things into your life that humbles you? Is God removing things out of your life that perhaps may humble you? Are there some things that you're scratching your head over and it's stretching your faith? Consider the work of God. How do you do that? I'll begin to close with verse number 12. and Let me go through it phrase for phrase. Paul says, You've always obeyed in my presence. Now remember, he's speaking as a father. Go back to verse 3. He's speaking as a father. Just like as fathers, it hurts our heart to see Sybil rivalry. He's going to remind these Philippian believers, you are children of God. Sorry. What what a reminder. You are children of God. You are obedient children. That's what Peter reinforces in our study of 1 Peter 1. You have God's nature within you. And Paul says, just like you were obedient... When I was with you in my presence, it is much more important now in my absence that you be obedient to the Lord. They didn't have Paul there spurring them on, holding them accountable. In other words, Paul's trying to get them to grow up. It's one thing for our children to be mature and responsible 
in our home, it's a whole other thing for them to be that way out in society, right? Well, Paul's saying the same spiritually. It's one thing for you to act one way in church. It's another thing for you to be the real deal out there. And so he says, here's how you do it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that verse has, I remember in my youth, boy, it confused me to no end. Because, you know, Scripture says salvation is by grace through faith, not of what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. So if salvation is by grace through faith and it's not a result of works, then why is Paul telling us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Boy, that doesn't make sense, does it? How does that compute? He is not saying, listen, listen. He's not saying work for salvation. You can't do that. It's not earned. It's given. You're not working for salvation. No, you're working because of your salvation. And what's he mean by work it out? It's actually a beautiful word picture. The word picture here is of a gold mine. Now think of that. Right now, if I understand correctly, gold is about $1,600 per ounce. If I came to you and I said, you know, I've, I've had a gold mine for many years now. Wouldn't you be intrigued? Wouldn't you immediately wonder how much money I have? You probably would think, why didn't he dress better? <laughs> what, what, what if you found out that Sadie and I own a large gold mine? And then, let's say you and I went to dinner and you had questions about it. Chad, I mean, what, what's it like having a gold mine? And what if I said to you, what's it like? It's a lot of hard work. Well, how much, how much gold comes out of it? Uh, I, I don't really know. What do you mean you don't know? You don't have people mining the gold? No. Why? Well... It's a pretty busy season in our life right now. You know, our kids are young. I got a lot of responsibilities. We just don't have time for it. What do you mean you don't have time? It's a gold mine. I don't really have the money to go out there a lot. And it takes a lot of money for the equipment. It takes a lot of money to hire people to do it. I just, Chad, it's a gold mine. You do it right, you'll have all the money you need. Well, it's a lot of work. It's a lot. I don't know. I don't understand a lot about gold, you know. I don't. You'd walk away going, what a bonehead. <laughs> Wouldn't you? And how many of us, my precious friends, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the word, when it comes to the will of God in our lives, when it comes to serving the Lord, how many of us are just like, mm, you know, it's a pretty busy time for me. I try to read the Bible, but I don't get nothing out of it. You know, I've never really understood a lot about it. I don't know. Serve? Oh, I don't got the time for that. And you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying you have a gold mine. 
you, your faith is a literal gold mine. Why are you not working it? <laughs> come on, can we say amen right now? And Paul says, here's the point. Get in the gold mine and dig out the gold. Work your faith, amen. Because faith without works is dead. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Let's jump into the things of God. Let's jump into the word of God. Let's jump in to what God has for our life. Not later when things calm down. No, now in this season of life. Let's go all in. Work out your own salvation. And then, just in case pride were to creep in. Just in case you were to get arrogant. Just in case you start working that gold mine and all of a sudden comes all this spiritual gold into your life. And just in case you want to puff your chest and say, oh, look what I've done. No, no, no. Verse 13, look what Paul says. No, it is God that works in you. Don't get arrogant. Don't get arrogant. It is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Amen. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible seems to have no need to, to satisfy my curiosity as to what is God's responsibility and my responsibility. You know how I, I see it like a two-sided coin. It's one coin, both sides. God says, Chad, you work out your own salvation. But God says, all in all, it's my work. That's my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. God says, Chad, exercise your faith. Well, I don't even have faith unless God gives it to me. The Bible says, I'm kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 1. But then it tells me, keep yourself in the love of God, Jude. God has a role and I have a role. And God will be faithful to his because he's the author and perfecter of my faith. I have to be faithful to my part. And you know what my part is? Get in the spiritual gold mine and work out my own salvation with deep respect, with revere. I take it serious, sober-minded. Why? Because all in all, God is at work in me. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.